Faith, a word packed with meaning. Sometimes it holds firm, but sometimes it wavers because life rarely goes as planned. Moms often find themselves or their children tossed to and fro by life's circumstances, revealing how we tend to put our faith in things that can't keep their promises instead of our promise-keeping God. When this happens, we feel let down, question what we believe, and wonder if God really is who He says He is. We don't feel His presence, instead feeling frazzled and unsure, but it doesn't have to be that way. Join Million Praying Moms and author Aaron H. Warren for Confident Faith, Three Prayers to Strengthen a Mom's Heart, and Learn to Put Your Faith in Our Faithful God, who keeps His promises, is always with you, and is the peace you crave. Yours free when you sign up at millionprayingmoms.com or in today's show notes. Is it possible to have perfect faith? Will there ever be a time when your level of faith is exactly what you need? Or will it always feel like you just don't have enough? Those are the questions we're going to be answering on today's podcast. Hey friends, it's Brooke McLaughlin, your host of the Million Praying Moms podcast. And the mission of our time together is to help you learn to make prayer the first and best response to the challenges of parenting, a partnership between you and the God who loves your children more than you do. Together, we're learning to pray God's word for our children in the areas they need it most. Well, friends, I have at many times throughout my life wished to have a greater faith. Just a few months ago, my family was going through something difficult, and I confessed to my Sunday school class that my initial response, my gut response to that really difficult thing, wasn't quite as faith-filled as I would have liked for it to have been. I sincerely wish that my default response was brimming over with faith. I wish I could have just said, I am so full of faith in the God who can, but that's not exactly what happened, and I felt disappointed in myself because of it. The Christian life is a mixture of the right now and the what's to come. When we come to Christ, we automatically get the righteousness of Christ so that when God looks at us, that's what he sees. He sees Jesus when he looks at us. But at the same time, we grow in our righteousness, maturing in our faith throughout the rest of our years here on earth. We have it. We have faith, but we also have to grow into it. And that's the conversation that we're going to open up today. My guest for this entire season is Erin H. Warren. And here's why I think she's perfect for this particular conversation. Erin has been through her fair share of life-altering challenges. And those challenges have caused her to get down on her knees and cry out to God for answers. Sometimes he's given them. And other times he hasn't given them exactly the way that she thought he would. But she's been willing to ask the big questions, and she's going to help us learn to have unanswered questions without throwing everything away that we know to be true. Now, the other reason that I think she's perfect for this conversation is because she's the author of our latest 30-day devotional, Everyday Prayers for Faith, Finding Confidence in God No Matter What. Everyday Prayers for Faith is a 30-day devotional style book that will help you learn how to have a firm faith even when life isn't going like you planned it. It's going to renew your faith in the faithfulness of God, and we just can't wait to get it in your hands. You can order your copy now anywhere books are sold or in the show notes at millionprayingmoms.com. After a word from our sponsors, we'll dive in. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. 
This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of the Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with the King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Well, Erin, welcome back to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you with us again this week. You're going to be hanging out with us a lot this month, and we're super happy to have you. We are going to be talking about the process of growing in our faith today. And in the intro, I was sharing a little bit with everyone about how the Christian life is a mixture of the right now, like what we get now, like when we came to Christ right now but also the what's to come. And I wondered if you could help us unpack that a little bit. Why is that an important part of the conversation about faith? This is definitely something that has been uh, something I have, especially as of late in this latest round of crises my family is going through, really wrestling is the tensions that we hold in our Christian life. You know, there are things that we're holding that, yes, we do have the righteousness of Christ. Yes, we do have access to the fruit of the Spirit. We do have these things while yet still having to work them out. And I think really it's so important for us to be having this conversation around faith because there's so many things flying at us these days. There's a ton of misinformation. And a lot of that is what's causing us to question our faith. And as we kind of have already talked about in this series, um, it's not even the question of, is God true? It's also, you know, the questioning of what he has said, what he has promised, misunderstanding going, wait, I thought this was true. You even shared in the last one, your quote about if God says something is true and what I believe is true are two different things, then I'm wrong right? <laughs> because God is true and he's never untrue. And so there's always that kind of misunderstanding. And and really, honestly, it's it's super important for us to have this solid foundation of the truth about faith because... Satan is prowling around like a lion looking to steal and kill and destroy. And his game is the same game he's been playing since the Garden of Eden. Did God actually say? And he wants us to believe that God is holding out on us. And so, so many of those questions around our faith are us wrestling with thinking that God is holding out on us, that what we feel like should be the answer, what we feel like we deserve is not true. And so he wants us to believe that that is the truth. And because that's where our faith starts to kind of crumble or crack. And so I really want us to have a foundation 
of truth. I think that's a lot of, I mean, it's in the name of my ministry, Feasting on Truth. It's a very high value for me. I think one of the best pictures of why truth is important, we see in Ephesians 6 in the armor of God, because the belt of truth is the very first thing that they put on. And the reason is because truth bears the weight of every other piece of armor. You know, if you think about movers or weightlifters, they always put on an extra support around their waist. When I was getting fitted for my wedding dress, I had a strapless dress. And um, let's just say there's not much to hold it up. So um, <laughs> I have the opposite problem. So, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> when um, I was really concerned that I was going to be pulling the dress up the whole night and the seamstress that was doing the fitting and the alterations said, no, we fit it around your waist. So your waist will bear the weight mm. of the gown. And sure enough, the whole night, I never once had to pull it up because it was fitted around my waist and it held the weight. And so the same truth holds the weight of everything. And so if we want to really reset our foundation of faith, if we want to, as we're saying, reconstruct our faith on the true foundation, we really need to be focused on the truth of what his word says. Yeah, I love that so much. I have often said, if scripture defines a sort of balance between speaking the truth in love, I fall firmly on the truth side. If you take like a spiritual gifts inventory, I always come out high in the prophetic, which some tests interpret to me, not that I'm a prophet, but that I'm a truth teller. And so I have to be careful. Yeah. I have to be careful with that sometimes and be mindful of that because, you know, scripture tells us to do both. It says, tell them the truth, but speak it to them in love. And if I'm not careful, I come off a little bit harsh and that's just my, my normal orientation, but I have to balance that. And I've learned over the years, not perfectly, but I do better at it than I used to. But The flip side of that is that there may be listeners who maybe fall firmly on the love side. You know, I think Mm -hmm. I've learned that that truth without love feels harsh and demanding and kind of like a taskmaster barking out orders kind of thing. It can turn people off. But love without truth at the same time can be sappy and it can empower us to stay where we are instead of moving forward. I think of the times in my life when I have felt the fiery darts of the enemy, we were talking about the enemy and how he only comes to kill, steal and destroy. And there have been many times when I felt like even recently, when I felt like the voices I was hearing in my head about certain situations that are maybe challenging or difficult, were the fiery darts of the enemy. They were the enemy whispering to me, you're a Mm. failure. You didn't do this right. What you've done hasn't been enough. And those are meant to crush our faith. When we have put stock in trying to follow what we believe God has called us to do, and it isn't necessarily working the way we thought it would, or there's detours or curveballs that have been thrown at us, the enemy takes that time to try and you know, unsettle our faith or tell us things that aren't true. Like you said, did God really say? And the only way that I have ever been able to combat that, the only way that I've ever been able to uncurl myself from the fetal position and feel like I can stand against those fiery darts of the enemy is with the truth. 
That's mm-hmm. the only way. I just don't know of yeah. another way to do it other than <laughs> it is. to speak the that's truth it. over it. And that's right. it, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Give us some illustrations or some ways that you have seen this issue trip people up in the past. Like I just described one, right? Where things didn't go the way I wanted them to. I feel like the fiery darts are coming at me. What are some other ways that this issue of truth trips us up as we're trying to respond in faith to the things that God allows in our lives? I think a huge part of it is we don't understand the truth. I think that we have not taken time to really read God's word, seeking the truth of who he is. We don't spend a lot of time in God's word at all, you know, deeply studying. We'll do a Bible study written by someone else and it kind of is, you know, their guide through and their revelation and their study finding. But very few of us take the time to really sit down and study inductively. And I know that's a big, scary word, but it really just means to study with your own heart and mind first before turning to other sources. And so, you know, if we don't come to scripture and we talked about having that God-centered view of scripture, not me-centered, and we talked in the last episode, I actually want to reread the definition of faith so that we have that as kind of our working foundation. Again, this is the Greek word help studies definition of what the Greek word faith means, because the world faith can mean other things. But here's what it means when you read your word faith in your Bible. This is what it means. It is always a gift from God and never something that can be produced by people. In short, faith for the believer is God's divine persuasion and therefore distinct from human belief or confidence yet involving it. The Lord continuously births faith in the yielded believer so that they can know what he prefers. So when we talk about the importance of truth in faith, it's the more that we seek his truth, the more we are persuaded that he is true, the more our faith will grow. Um, and I, I think for us, sometimes what trips us up um, when we start talking about faith, so one is that we don't know what's true. But two is we don't always know how to approach scripture in this way where we are seeking truth or we read things and we don't necessarily understand the context of scripture. And so when I teach Bible study, I always, always, always start with context and there's, there's cultural context and there's scriptural context. And so a lot of times we'll drop into like Hebrews 11 and we'll see all these names in what we call the hall of faith, you know, and it's like, we'll read like, wait a second, Abraham was faithful. Wait a second. He, he didn't believe God. He, and actually I did this last year. I taught through Romans as part of the feasting on truth Bible study. And um, Romans four also talks and points to the fact that Genesis 15, when Abram, as he was called then, is first called by God, it says he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And Paul in Romans 4 is pointing back to that moment and explaining how we are saved by faith alone. And so it is pointing back to this moment. Well, most of us read the middle of the story and we go, Abraham wasn't faithful. He did doubt God. And we forget that one, these people in scripture are imperfect people. They're not Jesus. You know, we often talk about them and this is like Bible study 401, but the Christ types in the Old Testament that kind of help imperfectly point us to what God ultimately fulfills in Jesus. But Abraham is not Jesus. 
and he wrestles his faith. We have to know the background and the context. And actually, over on the Feasting on Truth podcast this week, I am deeper teaching on this idea of context in scripture and kind of using this example of Abraham. So you can go over to the Feasting on Truth podcast and learn a little bit more about how to discover context in scripture. Because I think a lot of times our questions of faith come when we don't fully understand the context of what we're reading. Just high level that Genesis 15 is this moment, many scholars liken it to the Abraham's moment of salvation. And then what we see over the course of the next seven chapters is him learning who God is and learning to walk in faith. And it's imperfect because we're imperfect, but how our long suffering and patient God continually is present and walks with us as we grow in our faith. Like you were saying in the intro in that story that, you know, we think we have to have perfect faith. You know, we talk about like God gives you faith in the fruit of the spirit. He does, but even fruit has to grow. Fruit doesn't just pop onto a vine. So, you know, it's something that grows over time. And I think we've misunderstood that maybe about faith. Yeah. You know, when I look at Hebrews 11, I'm always amazed that Samson is in there. I've actually been studying Samson off and on for years for various reasons. I talk about him in my first book, Praying for Boys. I don't know why I've been so enthralled with him, but when I read Hebrews 11, I think to myself, what in the world is he doing there? Because he's not a great example of living out your faith on a daily basis. He didn't take his Nazarite vow Seriously, he didn't fulfill the things that God had required of him inside of that Nazarite vow. For those who maybe didn't grow up in Sunday school, Samson was the guy we all learned about that was the strongest man who ever lived and had his eyes plucked out and his hair cut and lost his strength and you know all that. The whole story, if you don't know it, I would, I would recommend going and reading it. But it occurred to me the other day as I was rereading the story of Samson, that at the end of his time, when he was at the end and and had been captured by the Philistines and they were kind of treating him like a plaything, he in that moment before he regained his strength because his hair had started to grow again, which was the source of his strength, he had this moment where he was like, Lord, be with me one more time. Mm. Be with me one more time. And in that moment, I think Samson had faith. Even though he didn't have it perfectly for all of his growing up and adult years. In fact, we could say he, he had it quite badly all that time. In that moment, he had faith. I think of Moses when he hit the rock, right? When, when Mm -hmm. he didn't do what God told him to do. I mean, and he was punished for it. It was a severe punishment for acting imperfectly, for not acting out of perfect faith in that moment. Moses had a severe punishment of not being able to go into the promised land with everyone else. And so there are plenty of David caught in adultery and murder and, and just heinous crimes against people that he was supposed to be taking care of all of the biblical characters, most of the biblical characters that we know and love. And certainly those that are listed in Hebrews 11 lived out an imperfect faith, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes also from our misunderstanding of ourselves and our misunderstanding of sin. And I think that is kind of at the core sometimes of this question of faith. We do need to have this God-centered perspective on scripture because what it does is it helps us have a better picture of ourselves. 
And, you know, when I kind of shifted toward this type of Bible study and the way that it helped my faith is because the more I realized, y'all, how amazing and good and big and incredible and righteous and holy God is, I realized how awful I am. Yes. And I know for a fact, I thought I was way better than I was. I was like, you know, like (laughs) tell the story that I can remember like one point, I don't know how old I was. I don't know. I mean, I was old enough to know better, but I was like, you know, thinking back on my day, I'm like, I don't think I sinned today. And I was like, uh, hello, pride (laughs) number party of one. You know, I, I think, and a lot of times I think at the root of our misunderstandings around faith is that we misunderstand our own sin. Like the punishment for a sin is death. Any sin. Y'all, so literally any sin, any sin, and we deserve hell. And that, I think when we get caught up in this, well, God didn't give me what I felt like I deserved. Well, you better be glad he did. That's exactly Because what you deserved is hell. And I don't mean that to be, you know, I'm not trying to be hellfire and brimstone, you know, or whatever. But I just, I think sometimes we just genuinely, and the longer we walk with God, the longer sometimes we forget how awful we really are. And so when we start to question our faith, when we start looking at these things and going, well, God, why are you allowing this to happen? You know, a lot of times we forget (laughs) that he has given us far more abundantly what we ever deserved in himself. And so, you know, I think for us, it's like back to that idea of truth. We need to have an understanding of the truth of who he is and who we are in comparison. And when we understand that, that creates a humility, like that definition of faith tells us is a yielded heart that opens the hands that humbles and says, God, I just want to know who you are, the truth and allowing him to speak into us so that it is building our faith as we move forward. And we know exactly what he's saying so that Satan can't be like, well, did God actually say you can fight back? I mean, when Jesus is taken in Matthew 4, he's taken out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. What does he do? Satan tries to twist scripture and Jesus fights back with the truth of scripture. And so he's still playing that same game with us. You know, He's trying to twist scripture and it only takes one degree, 99% truth, y'all is still a lie. And you'll still find yourself way off course if you keep going on that trajectory as you walk. And so it's important for us to do that. I think sometimes it can be difficult to realize how bad we are when we haven't had a dramatic conversion. I know I've, I've heard lots of my friends say this, who, you know, were raised in church, who you know, really didn't have this like seriously dramatic before and after in their salvation experience. And so they look back on, you know, the way they were before and they're like, well, I I really, like, I wasn't a horrible person before. Yes, I believe that I was a sinner and that that Christ died for me and that he was raised again on the third day and and that that, that he overcome overcame sin and death for us. And I have put my full faith and I'm living in that, you know, and growing in that the best that I can every single day. But sometimes when you don't have a dramatic conversion story, it can be hard to look back and say, well, I was really a horrible person, or I really am a bad person, or or I'm not a good person, I'm not as good as I thought I was. I think it can be easier 
for some people when they do have a dramatic conversion story to look back and say, look at what God has done. Look at the difference between me then and me now. And for me, I'm someone that didn't have a dramatic conversion story like that. I was raised in church. I I went to Sunday school. I, I had all the things, the same thing that I've given my children. I really made decent choices in my life, but I look back at my life and I can see where I was looking good on the outside, but I was kind of a Pharisee. Like I wasn't necessarily mm, whitewashed tomb. Yes, I was a whitewashed <laughs> tomb. I and people have even said to me now that I'm many years post high school, like you were such a good girl in high school. And I kind of was. I kind of was the girl that made the good, smart decisions. But in my heart, there were things that I was doing and saying that were sinful and made me like a Pharisee. And I think looking at it the way that you just said, guys, even lying, even that little white lie that you told that seems inconsequential, like it's not a big deal. That is enough to separate you from God. God is so holy that he cannot be in your presence, even because of that little tiny white lie that probably isn't going to hurt anybody. It doesn't have to be the people that were murderers or adulterers or those things that we categorize as big sins that need Jesus. We all need yeah. Jesus. Real. Yes. Lord, right? Lord knows I need yes. Jesus. My friend, Linda, who she just was such an influential person in my life, just loved the word and was so incredible um, at, at pointing me to the truth where she used to tell the story. She was at, you know, a, a thing where a guy gave his testimony and it was that it was the dramatic conversion. It was the, you know, I was a drug addict and God got a hold of my life and totally. And she was talking to him afterward and she's just like, you know, almost apologized. Like, I just, I don't have a conversion story like that, you know, or whatever. I just, I've, I've was raised in a Christian home. Same, same story. It was mine too, you know? And this man looked at her and said, you see, I actually think that your testimony is more powerful because you've never known the weight of your own sin and still you believe. I think for us, when we can recognize, you know, one, we should never apologize. Like God has been able to save us from having to deal with a lot of things that come from the repercussions of that kind of story. Right. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, also is balancing understanding the weight of your sin is harder when you haven't had that. And I think that there's a lot of us and a lot of the questions of faith that we find in the church or the people who have grown up in the church who just have never fully understood the weight of what Jesus did for them and why we need it so much. This is why I love studying, you know, I laugh. I love studying Leviticus <laughs> and the wilderness and the tabernacle. I always tell people, I never understood what Jesus came to save me from until I studied the tabernacle. Like it's unbelievable. It totally changed the way I view my salvation. Yeah, that's so good. All right. So let's talk a little bit about. Um, you mentioned earlier, I want to just pull this back out and kind of mm-hmm. wrap up our conversation on this, that faith is not a feeling, it's a fruit. One of the things that we know is that when a believer comes to Christ, we get the fruit of the spirit, right? Those things are planted in us when we come to Christ, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I've said this on here so many times. One day I will break it out into song and just sing the song that I learned 
when I was a little girl that helps me rattle those off quite as quickly as I as I did. Not today. Today's not the day, but one day I will. But we get those when we come to Christ. So the person that's listening right now that is is feeling like, I don't have enough faith. I need more faith. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Mm-hmm. What would you say to that person who is trying to look for faith, but is maybe looking for it in the way that she feels in a given situation? How do we get away from that feeling and into growing true faith? Yeah, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that in the next episode, but just kind of at high level, I think one of the misunderstandings we've had about faith is that we think of faith as something we just get. Like we think of faith as being whole. It's like all the apples of faith just pop on the tree when we say, yes, Jesus, I give my life to you. But faith is something that grows. I'm studying through Mark right now in my Bible study. And in Mark chapter four, Mark gives these multiple parables and they all kind of have this idea of seeds and growth. So this is where you find the parable of the sower throwing the seeds and the seeds are God's word and they go out and they you know, the good seed falls on the good soil and it takes root and it grows. It's not like the seed sinks in and immediately there's this intricate root system and a full tree and, you know, all the fruit on it. It's something that grows. And then, you know, he tells the parable of the growing seed, which points to, you know, our definition that it's something God grows in us. He talks about how the sower plants the seed and how the farmer plants the seed. And he doesn't actually go out there and stretch the stock. You know, it just, it grows. He, he tends to it. He waters it. You know, he pulls out the weeds, but it grows on itself. And then the parable of the mustard seed, this tiny, tiny, tiny little seed that grows was so foundational for me was there's a lot of scholars that believe that one of the purposes that Mark wrote his gospel. It was actually the first gospel that was written. It was written around 64 AD. And there's these strong themes of suffering and the suffering in Christ. It's because it's written during the time of Nero, who was notorious for his persecution of Christians. But one of the other thoughts is that there's also some evidence that kind of points to the fact that the early church, these first and second generation Christians, are looking at the disciples and seeing their faith and feeling like they are putting them on pedestals and comparing them. And and in Mark, it's like these seeds of faith. And these disciples, y'all, <laughs> like it's almost comical because you're like, I don't understand how y'all can't get this. But literally in the book of Mark, you never see the disciples understand the full extent of who Jesus is and why he came. They know he's Messiah, but they're thinking of him as this conquering king. And you never see in the canon of Mark, the actual admission an understanding of him as Lord and Savior in the way that he did come. Many people believe that it is because Mark is pointing to this idea of this is what the seed of faith looks like. They made a decision. They heard the word of the Lord. They believed him. And now here we are 30 some years later, and they are seeing the fruit of the faith of those disciples and saying, this is what you see. This is where it started. And sometimes I think we lose that bigger picture um, of understanding that faith is something that grows. And this is something, like I said, I'm going to go in deeper with the Abraham story is seeing how a seed of faith eventually grows into something big. And so Mark's definition, this is from James R. Edwards wrote a book called um, The Gospel According to Mark, and it's a commentary on it. He talks about growing faith. He said, insiders, Mark writes with a lot of like irony over who's inside and who's outside, because it's usually opposite of what you would expect. 
Insiders are those for whom the fellowship and will of Jesus takes precedence over everything else. They hear, believe, and bear fruit, which is Mark's definition of faith. They can only hear by being with Jesus, and to them, the mystery is revealed. So if we want to experience growth in our faith, we have to spend time with Jesus. We have to do it humbly. We have to know that we are still growing. We're going to fumble, but again, we can't stop. We can't be like, well, I messed up. Or I'm just going to struggle with this sin my whole life because that's just how it is. Or I'm just going to question God. It's okay to be angry. Like we can never leave it there. Your faith is not lost because you made one mistake. You know, we are going to fumble through this because we're imperfect and we are continually growing in our faith. But if we are humble and, and continue to keep coming to him, we have a God who is full of grace and patience and long suffering. That is one of my favorite characteristics of God, the long suffering, like, He walks with us despite all of our faults. And so we need to continually be growing in our faith and allowing him to work in us. Yeah. So listeners, if you feel like all you have right now is a mustard seed, if that's all you have, then that's okay because God can grow that mustard seed into something much bigger. We just have to give him the time and and the space to do that in our lives. Erin, thank you so much for being with us again today. Guys, don't forget to order your copy of Everyday Prayers for Faith now at millionprayingmoms.com, or you can just go and get it anywhere books are sold. Till next time, friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the Million Praying Moms podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Go check them out. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. God invites us to cultivate thankful hearts by turning our eyes toward Him in good times and bad. To listen to more Abide Christian Meditations, just go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Christian Meditation. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.